Well, this week was uh, one of those weeks that um, I got to experience precisely what I was reading and studying. And so if you guys have ever put together a message or a study or maybe in your devotional life, sometimes the Lord will allow and cause the exact circumstance that you're reading about, right? And so this was one of those weeks I was like, wow, Lord, I'm experiencing precisely kind of what I'm reading about and writing about and reflecting. And so it was a um, interesting week for sure. And we started a new book this last week. We started the book of James last week. So if you're with us last week, we started the first uh, four verses of James. And last week, we looked at what James had to say about trials, about the church, about God's people dealing with the trials of this life. And so James says that the sign of spiritual maturity, as hard as it is, is finding joy in the middle of trials. I think those terms, joy and trials, aren't always complimentary in my mind, but that's what James says. He says that we can find joy in the midst of trials. And the joy is found in that the trial is not the destination, right? That the joy is actually um, found in God's refinement in the process. That somehow He's making us look more like Jesus and less like ourselves. And that's where the joy comes from. And this week we're going to continue on the study of trials, but we're going to look at um, what James has to say about wisdom in the face of trials. That we as God's people don't have to come up with a plan. We don't have to figure out what to do. We simply ask God. You know, God does not leave us with the uh, opportunity or the need for us to figure out what to do in this life, right? We have His Word, but then also He says if you're, if you're not sure what to do, you can ask me. Ask for wisdom, and I will show you what to do. So we're going to look at that this morning. Uh, this week, I was also reminded that if I don't answer the questions that my kids are asking, or if my wife and I don't answer the, qu the questions that our kids are asking, that they'll get answered by someone else. And so if I or my wife and I don't give them godly wisdom, somebody else is going to try to download some other type of wisdom. And if I send my kids out the door with a blank slate, I believe that somebody else or somewhere else they're going to draw on that slate. It's going to be something there. So when I send my kids out, I can either equip them with godly wisdom or they'll get answers from somewhere else. And if you look around, you know that social media is pretty pervasive, obviously, right? It's on our phones, it's in our homes, on our computers, it's everywhere. And so one of the dynamics I think we're experiencing today is that young adults are getting their information, their wisdom from social media. It comes from sometimes peers, sometimes social media, sometimes the, the, um, the news. But the reality is, is that we can either trust and seek in God's wisdom or we can trust and seek in other wisdom somewhere else. There's really only two choices in this life. And in the same way, I think uh, the local church has, has lost its voice in some ways, lost its capacity for its voice in our country, in our world, because we stop answering the questions that people are asking. And so again, we can look to either God's wisdom how to handle life, or the other option is outside of God's Word. There's only two options. C.S. Lewis, he says this. This is a great quote. He says, Aim at heaven, and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you will get neither. 
That's a great quote by C.S. reminding us that that we can certainly aim towards heaven and we just happen to get earth thrown in. So again, James is going to tell us and remind us about there are really only two choices. So when faced with questions or difficulties or challenges or trials, we can either look to God or we can look somewhere else. So turn your Bibles to James, James chapter 1, 5 through 8. James chapter 1, 5 through 8. James chapter 1, 5 through 8. I'll, I'll read it for us here this morning. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought, ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And I have to admit that I've read this passage countless times in my life. I've quoted this passage to others, and I've prayed this passage into people's lives. And just this week, I had a realization that, you know what, James is not necessarily talking about wisdom in general, that's typically been most of my prayer to before the Lord and prayer with others. I'm like, well, he's just talking about wisdom in general. Like, if I need wisdom, I'll, I'll ask the Lord. Well, that's true, yes. James is really talking about, he's telling the church, he's saying that wisdom in the middle of trials is available. So the context is trials. So James, again, is writing to the church saying in the middle of trials... If you're not sure what to do, if you're lacking wisdom, ask the Lord and He will give it generously and graciously. Yes, we need general wisdom, right? We know that. But, in the context of James' writing to the church, wisdom in the middle of challenges, situations, trials, tests. So when a problem gets so big, right, we, can, we recognize and we can understand that it's hard to see clearly and objectively, right? There are some things that are so big, that feel so big in this life, it can be really hard to see clearly. We can get so spun up and wound up. And so again, things can feel like this is even too big for God. I've certainly been there. Uh, in fact, I was there this week. I was just kind of talking to the Lord. I was like, Lord, this, this is huge. This is big. What am I going to do? And I passed out some pens uh, before the service started. So you have, if you have your pen with you, I think we have some blank space right there. On our bulletin, I want you to write down something here. So in your in your space for notes, I want you to write down what is what is one test, what is one trial that you're in the middle of today? What is it? Doesn't have to be extensive, doesn't have to be long. What is one thing that you're in the middle of, a trial or a test today? And whatever you're writing down, I want you to use this and think about this as, as we look at God's Word and what He would have to say in the middle of whatever you're writing down. So use this as your example, a situation, as you're reflecting or writing. What would the Lord have to say in the middle of this test or this trial?
I know that we've all heard someone say, I'm just not sure what to do, right? Again, maybe you've thought that here this week or somewhat recently in yourself. You know, sometimes my kids will ask me, they'll say, Dad, what should I do? In the same way, we can ask the Lord. He is our Heavenly Father. Lord, what shall I do? He is, again, our Father. We go to our Father who has the answer. So in some ways, like my kids come to me and go, Dad, what should I do? I think one of the one of the hindrances for us is that in the middle of trials and tests of this life that we want to do it ourselves. We want to take the reins. We want to see ourselves out of this. I think we're often pretty self-sufficient, right? Definitely as men, we got this. We're going to do this. Sometimes my wife just wants to talk, but guess what I want to do? I want to fix it. I want to do something. I want to, and she just says, I just want to talk. And somehow, right? We want to fix it. We want to do it. So in the middle of trials, our immediate human response is often to take the reins and go, yeah, I got this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to see myself out of this. And here's the problem. Here's the default is that we often go to prayer as a second resort, right? I think if we're totally honest, we'd go, ooh, yeah, I guess I'll, when all else fails, I guess I'll pray about it. We don't often say that. We don't often admit it. But that is often the case. We often will try it first, and if that doesn't work, we often will go to God. Well, I guess I'll pray about it as a last resort. But James tells us that we are not the answer. James says, we are not the answer. He says, ask God. He doesn't say, ask yourself. He doesn't say, look in the mirror. So human wisdom is not the answer to the trials of this life. Verse 5, James says, if you lack wisdom, let him ask God. Verse 6, again, James says, he must ask. The command to ask God or to ask is twice right there in less than two verses. So we know it's important. Ask. Seek. And while that sounds really simple, right? Obvious, it's simple. Okay, I'll just ask God. Yeah, no, no problem. But James is saying there isn't a problem, there isn't a situation, there isn't a trial in this life that God doesn't have the answer for. And the answer, James says, is to start with prayer. That's the ask. Ask the Lord and He'll provide what you need. I think in my own life, worry and anxiety and all these things that seem to bog me down, they'd be greatly decreased if I just prayed more. But guess what? I'm going to attempt to see myself out of it. Or I got this. I'll do it. And then some sort of default response sometimes is, oh, I guess, I've, I guess I'll just pray about it. Obviously upside down. God wants it the, entire, the other direction. He, prayer as a first resort. That's our first line of offense, right? And the sort of prayer that James says, the sort of prayer that that we need to have is not simply an intellectual prayer or a prayer where you ask God to give me the right information, give me some knowledge. James doesn't say to seek knowledge. James doesn't say, hey, just read the textbook or read the book and set it down. And James tells the church to seek wisdom. Wisdom is application of what we know, right? The direct application of God's Word is what wisdom is. So we're not looking for knowledge. We don't want the right answer. We want to live out, experience, do the right answer. 
is what James says. And so wisdom is the insight needed to make godly decisions in this life. It's not about knowledge. It's not information, right? It's about the application of what we know right there in God's Word. And wisdom says, God, how do I honor you in the middle of the trials of this life? That's what wisdom says. How do I honor you? Not what do I want to do, not what hey, what feels good to me, not what the world would have me do. Wisdom is, how do I honor you, Lord, in the middle of this difficult circumstance? In James chapter 5, James, or verse 5, I should say, James tells the church that God's wisdom is not hidden. It's not a secret. All we have to do is ask God, and He will reveal to us what to do. It's a reminder for me that God is not a God of mystery, and God wants to share His will with you. That's the first major point I want to get at this morning, is God is not a God of mystery, that God desires to share His will with you. The Bible was not written to be a puzzle. It wasn't written to be a treasure map to decipher, and what if I just figure it out here? The Bible was written for us to know and for us to understand. While there's some complexity in the Bible, right? You got... You can't read Leviticus without some complexity or Chronicles or something. I'm like, what does this all mean? But the Bible is not written to be a mystery. The character of God, the will of God is not hidden from those who seek it out. We get to know His heart by seeking Him, by reading His Word to us. Jeremiah 29.13 says, This is God talking to Jeremiah. He says, You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. So as we search and seek for Him, He is right there. He doesn't go anywhere. He hasn't gone anywhere. He is simply right there. Jesus in John 15.7 says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. We know that God doesn't grant every prayer request, right? There have been many things, I'm sure, that that we've all prayed about, and God did not grant those requests in the way that we would want. But God grants requests in accordance with His will. The Bible tells us that we don't have, because sometimes we ask with the wrong motives, that's what Jesus says, but if our motives are selfish or self-seeking, those are requests that God will not grant if it's all about us. But as His children, as we align ourselves with His will, those are the requests that God desires to answer. Asking God to help you love Him, to love others. Align my heart, Lord, with the things of you. Let me care about what you care about, God. Those are the sorts of prayers that God answers. As we align ourselves with Him, those are the requests and the prayers that he answers. You know, it relates to trials in that the only right answer to the trials of this life, the only right answer is God's answer. That's it. I don't have to understand the trials. I just have to say, somehow the Lord has got a greater purpose than my comfort in this moment. And James doesn't say, 
Hey, God's just going to give you wisdom once in a while. James doesn't say, I'm just going to give you wisdom on Sunday mornings, uh, when I feel like it, when your, when your uh, prayer comes through, when I'm listening. James says, God will give you wisdom, number one, for all who ask, and he gives it generously. What an incredible term. We know that God doesn't play favorites. We know that it's not, God is not partial to some and not others. He gives wisdom to everyone who asks, to all who ask, and generously. He goes beyond the status quo. He goes beyond the minimum. God gives wisdom. There's plenty of it. There's ample wisdom. He always has more to give. In Matthew 14, Jesus fed thousands. If you remember the story, and it was with a few loaves of bread and a couple fish. And not only did everybody get their fill, the Bible says all the people ate and they were satisfied. Again, there was plenty left over. There was an abundance, is what the Bible says. More than necessary. So you and I, we are God's children. And the Lord desires to give us what we need generously. Plenty of it. He is our Heavenly Father. So like any father, a good father desires to give his children good gifts. That's what the Bible says. All good gifts are from Him, the Heavenly Father who comes down, the Father of lights. And one of the good gifts that God promises is wisdom. That's what James is telling the church. Wisdom. The second main point I want to get at this morning is this, is that God provides wisdom despite our yesterday. God provides wisdom despite our yesterday. In some ways, this is the best news of the entire passage to me. I love it. God gives wisdom generously without remembering our mistakes of yesterday. He doesn't hold our yesterday against us. He doesn't hold our sins against us. He says, I will still give wisdom generously. James tells the church, he says, God gives wisdom without reproach. I had to look that word up. I was like, reproach? I know it's saying that. Reproach means to reprimand, right? It means to discipline. So God, He doesn't scorn or discipline His children because we blew it yesterday. He doesn't withhold wisdom because we made a mess out of things, you know, last week or last year. You know, because of some prior sin or lack of wisdom, He doesn't withhold anything to us. There's no reproach. There's no discipline, no scorn. James takes this moment to tell the church of God's grace. That's really what he's getting at. No matter what yesterday is held, God still desires to give His children wisdom. As you can imagine, there are plenty of trials and tests and things in my life that I have not handled with complete godly wisdom. Things I've said, things I've done, all kinds of mistakes and ways that I've... things I wish I would have handled differently. But thankfully, God does not keep a record of wrongs. He doesn't give up on us when we blow it. He still gives us wisdom as we ask. Man, that was the best, that was the best news of this whole passage in some ways. Even when we doubt God's goodness, even when we look to the world for wisdom, even when we doubt Him, we look past Him, James tells us He still gives us generously, wisdom generously. 
God says, I remember your sins no more. As far as the east is from the west, you're washed clean white as snow. I say amen to that. In verse 6, James makes this contrast between faith and doubt. We must ask God for wisdom in faith without doubting, is what James tells the church. He's telling us the same thing. We must ask God for wisdom in faith without doubting. I think doubt is probably the biggest hindrance to our prayer lives. It's so common that we, we kind of have half-hearted prayers sometimes, or, boy, God, if you, if you could come through on this one, or this sure is big, and I don't know if you can really do it. This might be even too big for you, God. Or have kind of, God, if you have time, or kind of these whatever kind of prayers that can happen that are so common. But James says, we must ask the Lord with as much conviction and faith as that we can muster up, right? as much faith as we can muster up in our prayer lives, that's what the Lord wants to hear. And faith in this regard is believing that God is who He says He is. Believing that nothing is too big, nothing is impossible. Believing that God promises to do what He says He will do. And the sort of faith that we need is an active faith. That's what James says. He says it's a it's in faith that when you believe so strongly that, that God will give the wisdom, that you actually believe it. That you believe the prayers that you pray. But doubt often sneaks in there. Doubt is ready to sneak in at any moment, isn't it? It's a part of the human condition, right? It's a part of, um, it's normal, right? It's not God's intention, not a design, but it's a, it's a part of you know, being broken and living in a broken world. And I know we, we, it's so common to live with great faith one day and, and trial comes along and we get derailed. Surely this is too big for him. Like the Israelites in the desert, we have short memories when it comes to God, God's provision and promises. And these short memories that we have can lead to doubt in God's faithfulness. But again, God hasn't gone anywhere. He's right there. Just this week, I was praying, Lord, help. That's all I've got. Maybe you prayed that prayer this week. Maybe you prayed that prayer today. I don't know. And so while it's normal to fall into doubt and moments of doubt, it's important not to live in the doubt. Doubt will come along. We'll try to sneak in. But it's important not to entertain it, to live in it. And I think our first line of defense is to fill our minds with God's Word, God's promises about His faithfulness. Now as we read and recite and repeat God's truths, it become a greater part of our heart and our mind. And doubt is slowly eliminated, moved away, out of the margins. You know, Paul says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. It's our daily challenge to set our mind on things of God. Be reminded of His faithfulness and His provision. And He has come through in previous trials, has He not? 2 Timothy 2.13 Even when we are faithless, He, God, remains faithful. 
Ephesians 3. He, God, is able to accomplish abundantly more than we ask or we imagine, not just now, but for all generations, forever and ever. So the first line of doubting God's provision in the trials is that we would fill our minds with the many verses and His promises. We would set our minds on Him, not on earthly things. If we ask God for wisdom, but doubt, James tells us, he says in verse 6, you will be like a wave caught in the wind. Pretty interesting imagery there, isn't it? When you ask God, but yet you doubt that he will actually come through or give wisdom, you'll be like a wave caught in the wind. And a wave caught in the wind, right? It's like water going all these different directions. It's chaos. I'm sure you've seen waves in the wind. They go every direction, all over. There's water everywhere. And there's order to waves, right? There's order to the tide. And there's, you know, waves break at certain times and intervals and day after day, every day, without disruption. But what James says is like when we, again, doubt God's wisdom, chaos ensues. When we don't look for God to wisdom in our trials, there's chaos. There's a lack of order. Our hearts and minds begin to go different directions. And the only way that we can achieve order through our hearts and our minds in the middle of trials is to seek God. That's it. That's our order of operations. To seek God, knowing that He will provide the answer. And whatever He provides is of Him. The last couple of verses of our passage, verse 7 and 8, James reminds us that stability is possible with the Lord as our anchor. Stability is possible with the Lord as our anchor. James goes a little bit further into the destructiveness of doubt here a little bit in, in verse 7 and 8. And James says, those who doubt God's faithfulness will find themselves unstable. And this instability is this idea of this lack of foundation. Like the man that built his house upon the sand when the wind and the waves came along, the weather happened, the house was destroyed, demolished. And James calls this unstable person, he calls him double-minded. And the Greek translation, the original language, the translation for double-mindedness is a person with two minds or two souls. So to be double-minded is, is not just a moment of doubt, it's not just a moment of discouragement that could come along, but it's it's this double-minded person really lives with one foot in God's purposes and one foot outside His purposes. A dualistic life. To be double-minded means you are trusting in God's wisdom maybe one minute, but the next minute you're trusting in the world for wisdom. To be double-minded really is kind of this two, maybe one person or two people, I mean, go in different directions, opposite directions. They have a divided heart. 
To be double-minded means that you have more than one allegiance in this life. And Jesus tells us, he tells us that, that in the context of money, Jesus says you cannot serve two masters at one time. You will serve one and hate the other. So Jesus asks us, what's it going to be? In the same way, in the face of trials, there are only two options that we can choose. We can either choose to go to God, or we can choose something opposite. We can go and serve the world, or see what the world has to say for wisdom. You know, it's no secret that we're living in a world that seems to be marginalizing God's truth that much more each and every day by those outside the walls of the church and sometimes even inside the walls. God's Word is being deemed a truth, but not the truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. God's Word is the truth. You know, the world wants to claim that the Bible is just kind of some outdated book, old book that was written, you know, 2,500 or 5,000 years ago to a less enlightened audience, so they were less educated. And the world wants to claim the Bible is, is irrelevant. It's for those that are mentally or emotionally feeble, closed-minded. I saw a study this week that was kind of interesting. It was a poll that went out and... Um, I like polls in that I think they can tell us, they give us the pulse of our world a little bit. And so the, the poll I saw was from the Gallup, Gallup poll. And about half of American adults in this country are living as if God's word is not actually true. You're probably not surprised by that. But about 25% of American adults believe the Bible is actually the Word of God in all its claims. It's a very small percentage. That percentage seems to be reducing with each year and each decade. About the same amount, 25% of Americans, American adults, believe the Bible is simply just a collection of moral fables or legends and stories written by man. Interesting. So about half of our country says, yeah, maybe the Bible is good, but... It's not the absolute truth. It's a truth. It's not the truth. And we shouldn't be surprised, right? The Bible says the message of the cross is foolish to those who are perishing. Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. So the consequences of looking to the world or outside of God's word for wisdom is death. Spiritual death. And despite what the world had to say, despite what people would say outside the walls of the church, there's only one answer in his name, is Jesus. The last point I want to get out this morning is this. My last point. Last major point. We have victory over doubt by taking inventory of our past. It's kind of a long sentence if you're taking notes, but we have victory over doubt by taking inventory of our past. You 
I think the great anecdote to doubting God's provision is by remembering all the times he's provided wisdom in the past. You don't have to answer this, but I, I'm sure there's a recent trial that the Lord provided in and through. I'm sure there's something that comes to mind that as you prayed and you thought, God, give me wisdom. No doubt there's something that He provided in and through. So maybe this week, or maybe today, if you're reading or writing or reflecting, you know, maybe write some things down. Write down inventory. Lord, here are all the ways that you have provided in the past. And what that does is we use that list and go, wow, yeah, God, if you did that yesterday, we know you're going to be faithful tomorrow. And think as we write down again and take inventory and reflect all the ways that he has been faithful, it's intended to give us assurance for wisdom for the future. God, you took care of my yesterday, so we know you're going to take care of whatever trial I am facing tomorrow. There's been countless conversations I've gone into in my life and gone, I have no idea what to do. In fact, those conversations that I'm sitting with others sometimes, and I'm praying, Lord, I don't have the words, but I know that you do. And I am sure there have been many conversations you've gone into, whether it's personal conflict or work conflict or a family situation, something where you're saying, Lord, I don't know what to do. Give me the wisdom. And he's provided. He's provided. We know that God does not say that I will spare you of the trials of this life. That is nowhere in God's Word. He does not say, I'm going to spare you the trials of this life. Trials are going to happen. And if our expectation is that trials and and tests are going to happen, I believe we'd be a whole lot less surprised when they do. I don't know what you're facing. There are trials and tests that I don't know what you wrote down here today. I should write one more thing down. Lord, give me wisdom. Give me joy as I face dot, dot, dot. Whatever that is. Whatever that trial is. It's a short prayer. Lord, give me wisdom. Give me joy as I face. What is that trial? I want you to pray through that either today or this week, whatever you can. Lord, give me wisdom as I face that trial. Trials are not easy. They're going to happen. But as we ask the Lord for wisdom, we will see God's purpose in the trial. We will find joy in that trial even when it's not easy. You know, God will give us the answers to this life. And the good news is, all we have to do is ask. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, again, we just thank you for this time. And uh, Lord, we look to you for wisdom in this life. God, we know that you you have all the answers. There's nothing, God, that we might face that you don't have the answer for. God, we ask for um, godly thinking. We ask to align our hearts and our minds with you, God, knowing that, again, you have the right answer for us. We spend time in prayer today or this week 
asking you to help us see us through the trial, whatever we're facing. God, again, I just thank you for uh, assembling us together. God, this is no mistake. Thank you for this beautiful day. Help us to continue to trust in you and seek you with all of our hearts and all of our minds. In the name of Jesus, amen.